Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. We're not going to be doing a break today, we're, and we're going to be doing like a gratitude practice at the beginning and then at the end, so there won't be any uh, musical worship this morning. Um, so what I would love to have you do is, um, if you're able, just put both your feet on the floor um, and just kind of get find yourself in a, a relaxed position and just recognize your breath. You don't have to change anything about the way that you're breathing. It's just finding a space where you can be comfortable. There's a lot of things that have probably happened within your morning. So just kind of check in with yourself. Just see how you're feeling. And then take a, a minute to think of something you're thankful for. It could be something really big or extreme. It could be something very simple. But just, I'm going to give you just a few seconds. Just bring that thing to mind. And then however it looks for you to say, thank you, or just to be grateful for that. Let's take a minute together to do that. All right, go ahead and just recognize your breath. And thanks for doing that practice together. We're going to close uh, the service in a similar way. What we're going to be talking about today is mystery and being grateful for mystery. There are a couple of things that led me to this uh, topic this week. Uh, One of them was the weather, like I talked about. I looked out at the weather, and I was so frustrated at seeing snow again and having the conversations with people about... I just could sense that there's like a... (laughs) I don't even know the word. It's just kind of like that heavy feeling, right, of having to shovel again or the weight of... just the physical weight of uh, the snow. And I... Uh, took two of my kids and we went for a walk, went to Jay Cook to watch the water because it's so intense right now. And as we're walking, we walked past uh, somebody's house and there was a man out and he had a shovel and he had like that one lone island of snow. Do you guys have this? Like that just big spot where there's all the pile of snow and he was out there with his shovel just like shoveling the snow and he just looked up at us and said, more snow is coming. And then he just like digs back <laughs> into the snow And we all just, like, nodded, like, we understand. Like, what else? It is what it is, right? What are we going to do? And I giggled to myself because I had been doing the same thing. I was, like, out in my yard just flinging the snow into wherever there was sunlight or heat, hoping it would melt a little bit sooner. Um, But I thought there has to be something in this that I can find 
that I can be grateful for. That's one of the only ways I'm going to make it through until the sun comes. And then I had that thought, like, well, even when the sun comes out and it warms up and everything is the way that I want it to be, I still need to have that practice of appreciation, of gratitude. It doesn't just change. Circumstances change, but can I live in the mystery of that moment that I don't get to control everything? And so that was one part. Um, and then also I read this article, um, and I wrote an email about it and sent it out to you as a church um, from a gal named Jill Lepore. She wrote a whole article about entitled Data Driven. And she was talking about like the four categories of knowledge. And she wrote up this uh, beautiful example of like all the knowledge that we collect is like a filing cabinet. And so the first cabinet, the one that's closest to heaven, is where we store all of the mysteries, all the things that only God knows. And then there's the data file, and there's the numbers, and then facts. And I read through that, and I was like hung up by that imagery of like just kind of filing away the information that we have. And then I got a little hung up on some of the things she was saying. Um, she was talking about that, um, the w I'll just read what she had said. The point of collecting mysteries is salvation. Now, sometimes when I hear these kind of, I will just call them religious words. Like I, for me, I hear the word salvation and I just kind of pause like, what do you mean? What do you mean by salvation? Um, but I wanted to kind of stay in the mystery of the reading, so I kept going. So she's like, the point of collecting mysteries is salvation. You learn about them by way of revelation. And she said, when we study mysteries, mystification, or theocracy, we are practicing the discipline of theology. So one of her ideas is that when we are practicing this discipline of theology, it's like we are exploring these mysteries of God. That there are things that are just unknown. Can we... Basically, like, we're assigning that to God or to the divine. And so I sat, for that, sat with that for a while and was just thinking about the amount of things in my life that I can't explain and the breadth of my life that I, could, I just sat there and looked back. And I'm like, how many of those things could I file away as just thing that God, God knows? I don't know how they happened the way they happened. I can't explain them. And then other things that, like, I have enough data to understand. I'm like, that's why that happened. I can kind of file that away in that data, data drawer. Um... But one of the things, so what I'll talk about is one of the things for me that's still tough for me to live in mystery. I'll talk about some of the things that as a society, we've just agreed upon that we, like, these are mysteries that we agree to. Um, I'll talk briefly about just a story in the Bible that points to mystery and faith. And then we'll wrap it up with um, a couple of practices that can help us live in that space. So for me, one of the hardest things when it comes to mystery is being able to uh, assign understanding around physical healing. Um, for a lot of my growing up years, we believed that um, in, obviously in prayer, but then in healing prayer, that if somebody would put their hand on you, if you had some kind of ailment, that you would pray and believe that God would heal that thing. And so I have all of these moments that I look back on where I cannot really explain why I had a backache, and somebody came over and just said, let me pray for you, and put their hand on me, and prayed for me, and the backache went away. I can't explain it by saying, like, it's because the Advil just finally worked, or maybe my yoga stretches that I did finally kicked in. Like, I really can't explain it, and I still have a problem for me. Like, I still have a problem with that. Like, I can't figure out why that is the way it is. Like, there's some sense of just believing that there's something greater out there than I'm trusting. And... 
for a season of my life, I would have easily explained that by just being like, well, yeah, that's God. It's faith. Like, the circle is complete, that loop. Do you guys have this happen in your brain where, like, there's a loop of information and, like, something is missing, so you keep trying to, like, connect the loop, and so you go back to that thought over and over and over again until you can get that piece of information? For a long time, it was, it's something supernatural. The healing happened because God did it. And there was a time where I was like, I don't, how do I give data to, is that actually true? I wanted to live in like data. I wanted to have like, please explain to me how everything works. I want to have like a really good scientific explanation for that. But that lives in that supernatural space. It kind of supersedes the natural. So what was explained to me was that we are living in someplace natural. It's probably why the weather affects us the way we do because we just, we get something from the sun and the heat and the light. Um, it's natural for us to be sitting here holding a cup of coffee, sitting on a chair. Like, it's easy enough for us to all agree on that this is a natural space. But then there's this supernatural place where there are just things that happen that only God knows. Um, and as a society, we seem to really appreciate the supernatural because of the things that we watch or the things that we read. We get a little, we get something out of either maybe being scared or being curious or being interested. So mystery is this unexplained, it's this undefined, uncontrolled place. And for me, there are oftentimes I'm living in mystery, and I want to deny it, and I want it defined. I don't want mystery. I don't want to just be unsure of why something's happening. I want, like, dates <laughs> and times and explanations for how long I'm going to have to live in this space. Because um, it can complete that loop that I was talking about. So there are levels of mystery that we agree on in society. So here are some things that are, we just, we agree to. I'm going to talk about sports. So if we see something miraculous or unexplainable in sports, let's say, okay, for my generation, the image I have is Michael Jordan taking off from the free throw line, flying through the air and about to like slam dunk. I didn't just stop watching that and go, well, I wonder... Like, could I sketch out, um, like, the angles of that and, like, really figure out how... That is not what I did. I stopped in awe and watched that. And maybe for all of you, there's probably some sports reference that you have of something that you saw that was so incredible. You were just, in the moment, you were in awe. You just stopped and you celebrated it. You didn't stop to, like, think through how it ha Why did it happen that way? Maybe later, like, post-game, you're, like, discussing how that happened. But in the moment... There was something so powerful about being in the mystery of that, being in the awe of that moment, that in, instead of asking for the explanation of how, we just said thank you, or we just celebrated. So I think we agree to that as a society. Also, um, when somebody gets something that we all would agree that they deserve, so let's just go with he healing. If there's a child with some kind of um, disease or illness, and they're healed of it, and there's no real explanation of why that happened. We aren't going to sit back and scratch our chins and be like, I don't know if they really deserve that. We're going to celebrate, we're going to throw up our hands, and we're going to say thank you to God or whatever. We're going to get religious real fast and say thank you because we noticed something that we thought was good. So going back to that article I read, what Jill Laporte talks about, about mystery being your salvation, when I think about it in that sense, there's something about living in that moment and seeing something that I can't believe that does help save me. It helps me live in the mystery and not just living in everything that I can explain.
Um, it gives me, living in mystery gives me questions that I can't, I wouldn't normally ask myself that probably prompts my curiosity and helps me to grow. And even if I try to contain mystery and like give it a box to live in and label it, like she's not gonna live there. She's got unknown outcomes. Um, so for us as humans, there's something about living on that line of like wanting data. I think it's important that we have reality. I'm not saying we're just gonna live in mystery land someplace, but I think it's important that we do ask why things are happening, that we stay curious. But I think if that's the only place we live and we don't get curious about mystery and living in a place where we're not sure everything is how it's going, we're gonna miss on some of the beauty. Um, one of the things I want to see that attached to is um, in the things I'm doing good, I want to see that this mystery is attached to a larger narrative. Is it just something that's happening to us or is this something that's happened throughout time? Um, so I thought back to a, a Bible verse and some things that I studied in Sunday school when I was a little girl. Um, so we're going to talk shortly about Hebrews. There's a... Um, the book of Hebrews written by Paul, and Chris did a whole long, he did a couple of messages on Paul, so I'm not going to get into Paul exactly, but Paul, just a brief overview, Paul wrote letters to churches to help encourage them, to give them information about how to live. It's pretty brief. Um, and in one of these letters, and in Hebrews, he, um, he's telling the church, he's explaining to them about all the ways that you can have faith. And then he points back, and I hadn't read this story in a long time, I just read it this week, and it was quite powerful because he's, he starts off in that whole chapter 11 where he's talking about by faith Noah or by faith Abraham and then gives a brief overview of like what they did and what kind of faith it took for them to be able to do that. But it starts out with this statement that I want us to think on. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'm going to read that one more time. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So when I, when I think of that and try to give it like a real world uh, reference, I think about uh, taking a car trip as a young kid with my parents. Um, and there were like two places that we would go. We'd either be headed to St. Cloud because my aunt lived there and my cousins, or we'd be going to Hinkley. We went to Hinkley. I, it probably wasn't a million times, but I feel like those were the only two places we went. And if we were on our way to Hinkley, I knew we were going to stop at Toby's, and I was going to get my Long John donut, and it was going to be great. So I would drive my parents crazy by being like, are we there yet? Are we, how, how far, how close are we to Toby's? So I think about this idea of um, the faith is confidence and what we hope for is like, you're all in the car together on your trip. And the assurance about what we don't, do not see is, the, is being reminded over and over again that we're going to get there. We're gonna, you're gonna, yes, Nikki, you're going to get your donut. My mom would like bring an apple and a banana, and she'd hand it to me like, that's going to be the same as getting a donut. Um, it never is. I mean, yes, good parenting, give your kids some fruit, but yeah. Um, but that, that idea itself that there are things that we are looking for and longing for, and it can be helpful to be reminded of why we're doing what we're doing. And nowhere in that sentence is it explaining that we're actually going to get the thing that we want. It's just saying that we need to be reassured that we need to keep doing the good thing. Um, so here is, where is it? Okay, so the very end of that chapter, um, this is what Paul says. And it made me think about 
um, the things that we promise to do even in our own lives that take some mystery. That there are things, amazing things that happen in our life, small little things that happen, all building to a bigger story of, of wanting to see good and beautiful things happening in the world. So here's what Paul says. Uh, Through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms. They made justice work. They took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, fires, sword thrust. They turned disadvantage to advantage. They won battles. They routed armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who, under torture, refused to give up and go free, preferring something better, the resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips and, yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless, friendless, and powerless. The world did not deserve them. They were making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not completely apart from our own. So I think what caught my breath when I was reading through that is that part about making it the best they could on the cruel edges of the world. And I think that's still applicable to us. That if we think about the things that we walk through in our daily lives, that we see happening in the world around us, it can feel like we're just kind of skirting on the edge of something pretty cruel. Um, but then there can be hope. What I pull out of that last sentence is that the f- we can live kind of off of the faith of the people who have gone before us. I've heard it explained like this before too, that often we're enjoying the fruit of a tree that somebody else planted. And so even in that imagery, the church itself can be this amazing place where we're producing good fruit, where we're planting things that maybe we aren't always going to see the end of, but we have the promise to live in that mystery to know maybe the next generation or the generation after that if we're setting up something good and beautiful. So I want to talk about two things that can kind of help us as we're on that journey. The first one is... um, suspending your belief or your disbelief. So when we're in this space where there's something hard to believe, one of the practices that we can use is um, imagining our belief. Okay, I'll just use my phone. I was going to use my cup of coffee, but it's over there, and I don't want to go get it. Um, So imagine, like, this is your specific belief about something. Um, Instead of, like, getting rid of it entirely, you're just going to set it down here. Or maybe if you need like an internal reference, like you're just protecting that belief, you're just hiding it deep inside. But it's just going to stay there so that you can listen, hear, observe a situation without feeling like it's attacking your belief. So you're just suspending your belief for a little bit so you can live in that mystery space. Um, I was practicing that this morning because I got out of bed and it was a rough night last night. We had... um, family that's in town so all of the nephews come and stay at our house and there was no like for a sleepover which means there's no sleeping right I don't know why we need a new term for this <laughs> there's no sleeping in a sleepover I woke up and there were four boxes of macaroni and cheese the microwave was open with the light on the garbage can I mean it was just it was a scene um but 
when I saw that, what I believed was, well, of course I slept bad. I mean, there was just no sleeping happening. It was really busy in here. Um, but what can often happen, and this is, I have to practice this su suspending belief thing with my own sleeping because I just, since I was little, I'm not a good sleeper. So I have to tell myself a new story, like, I'm going to sleep well tonight. So I have to, like, imagine that I take my belief about sleep, like, I'm just going to put it over here, and whatever it is, is what it's going to be. Um, and that's a phrase, actually, we use a lot in our house. My husband and I will just look at each other. And we did this morning. We're like, it is what it is. Like, just, it is what it is. Um, but I think that idea of just suspending belief can help us with the conversations that we're having with people when we have different beliefs. We're not asking somebody else to give up their belief. We're not going to give up our belief. But there's something about just putting it aside for a, a second so that we can hear what somebody else has to say. That could maybe help us um, move forward and create the kind of um, understanding and curious world that we're hoping for. So suspending belief. Um, and then just what we did before, practicing gratitude. Um, there's something about being able to... Uh, see a situation and then like open up a new tab. So similar with like suspending belief. When I think about gratitude, I imagine like I'm typing my document at work and then I just click, I open up a new tab and I'm starting my new thing of gratitude. So it's not like I'm walking away from reality. I'm still living in reality. I'm fully aware like, of course it's sunny out, but it's a little cold. I wish it was warmer, but whatever. But I'm gonna practice some gratitude about what is because I can't control or change the circumstances. Um, so I want you to think about three things when we practice gratitude this next time. Attention, admiration, and appreci appreciation. So where is my, I'm going to take this thing. Look at that beautiful flower. Um, so first, my attention is like, I'm just noticing, it's going to drip. I'm noticing that. It's, dri <laughs> it's drippy. Um, uh, I'm noticing it's a flower. Um, that's all I need to do first. So sometimes that might be the only, that's the place where we start with gratitude. We just notice. We don't have to do all the steps. Like you don't have to get an A plus on this. There is no A plus on this assignment. It's just give it a try. So maybe as far as we can get with something is just noticing. We just notice it's a flower. Um, and then the second, if you want to go there, is just some admiration over it. Like I'm just going to notice uh, the color and the stem um, I noticed it was dripping, like it needs that water to be able to grow. And I might l stay here for a while, just uh, appreciating whatever it is. Um, and then when I'm ready, I'm going to say some gratitude. Like, I'm, I'm really grateful that, that you grow, that you're beautiful. Um, I'm glad you're here so that I can make this sermonic points. <laughs> um, I love that you bring beauty into the world. And that you're different. I love that this flower is different than all the other flowers. Um, and for me, nature is an easy vein for me to go into to be thankful. So it's helpful to know that, too, with your gratitude practice. Like, it's nice to have an easy win. Like, you probably already have it some places that it's pretty easy to go to be thankful. Could be something that you've eaten. Could be a relationship. Maybe it's nature. So I'm going to turn on a little bit of music. And we'll take a minute or two... Um, to do gratitude practice, and then I'm going to close this out um, for the service. But I'll just mention those things again. So it's the attention. You're just going to notice. Um, then moving to some admiration. 
and then some appreciation. How would you like to say thank you to that thing? And if you want to do this in several levels, um, you can. If you want to pick something in the room, you can as well. So I'll turn on some music here, because sometimes the quiet can be a little, um, a little too quiet. And so we'll take about a minute and a half here. All right, I'm going to close us out and just with my own gratitude, I am I'm really grateful for all of you and for everything that you brought into the space today and what you have right now and then again what you're leaving with. Um, and I hope that you're experiencing something good and beautiful today and I hope that you were able to um, notice that you are full of value and worth just as you are. So thank you for coming to Neighborhood Church. You're welcome to stay, have conversation, have more coffee. Um, and thanks for coming today. <laughs>